Welcome everyone to episode number two of Polar Opposites. We're a day early, but it makes no difference as my TSN schedule is forever changing. It is still me, Spencer Byers, along with Cajun, Thiru, Thinny, Castellum, and Cage. Big show going on here today. Lots of trades happened basically just after we left the pod uh, going, as well as the NBA draft, as we mentioned, was the day after we recorded. So big news coming out of the NBA draft. And then the Raptors added a new assistant as well. And I do want to mention off the top, you have a tease to give us at the very end of the show for something that will be talked about next week. But again, let's start at the very beginning. Let's talk about the flurry of trades that went down before the draft even began. And I think the biggest one, I'm not even sure we talked about it because we didn't know where he was going to go. CP3, Chris Paul on his way to San Francisco. Golden State decided to take a swing and get the, I'd say Hall of Famer, but maybe without the ring, he doesn't get in. They trade Jordan oh, Poole, their 24-year-old guard. Go ahead, Cage. He's a future Hall of Famer, even without a ring. I would tend to agree, but again, CP3 to Golden State for Jordan Poole going to D.C., so he will spearhead the youth movement going down in the American nation nation's capital. Pardon me. So, Cage, what did you make of that move? Because I'll, I'll just give my quick thoughts here. I don't really like the move for Golden State because— I don't know where CP3 is going to play. Like, are they going to play CP3 at the point guard position, move Curry to the two, move Clay to the three, or is he just going to be a, a reserve guard for when they want to give Curry some more time off because he is aging? You know, and obviously for DC, I, I love the move for Washington, for the Wizards. I think Jordan Poole can be great. Is he consistently? No, but he's a young guy. He will grow into that role, and now he's basically number one option. You know, they lose Bradley Beal to uh, trade to the Suns earlier uh, earlier last week. They lose Porzingis to Boston, which was confirmed after we ended the pod. We will get into that trade actually after this one. But, you know, I really do like Jordan Poole becoming the number one option in Washington, and I think he can be great. It just is going to be a matter of consistency for him. What do you make of the trade? I think this kind of reminds me of the James Wiseman trade. Um, Poole was no longer, no longer fit the timeline that Golden State had. And this trade to Washington, to the to the capital city of the United States, um, it just gives them a fresh start. And we've seen moments that he that that he has shined with Steph Curry out of the lineup. Whether it's creating for his own shot, playmaking to a little bit of a degree. Is his defense still a little iffy? Yes. Did he the quote-unquote um, bottom out against the Lakers to the point where he became borderline unplayable, yes. But you got to wonder, with that preseason tussle in which he got punched or KO'd, might I say, by Draymond Green, who's opting out of his con- uh, who opted out of his contract earlier, it, it leaves people to wonder, did that play a role in Poole not having as great of a season as people would expect? Now the pressure is off of him. Now he can start fresh. He doesn't have to worry about getting a ring because he already has one. And he can be the man there. So it's a great move for Washington. They've made a ton of great moves. They've made a ton of great moves since trading for Beal, which we'll get to that, which we'll get to like in a little bit. But 
they're doing this. Washington finally gets a fresh start, and Washington's going to finally rebuild the right way after years of people clamoring for them to rebuild in the first place. Now for Golden State, there's just a ton of questions surrounding Chris Paul, but this might signal that Draymond Green might just come back. I mean, Kate, I mean it, 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 might, it might, but I don't really know, though, because, again, you know, the problem with that is if Draymond Green comes back, how much are they going to pay him, Cage? Because he rejected, what was it, 27 point, I'll say two, but around that 27, 28 million dollar range player option. So that means you'd expect he thinks he's going to get more because why would you reject you know, a big player option if you don't think you're going to get more on the open market. So does the Golden State Warriors believe he's worth that much more is a question I have. I, I'll personally personalize it. I don't think he is. I don't think Draymond Green is worth that. Maybe to Golden State he is, but I don't think he is to another team worth what he's going to cost another team that I think yeah. honestly would give it to him. He just he he just has to be worth more than that to one team, and seemingly, seemingly after trading Pool away, they've sided with Draymond Green. Like, seems like it's tipping in the scales with Draymond Green and Draymond Green more and more likely to re-sign with the war with the Warriors. So I think he'll get maybe a two to three year contract, maybe borderline thirty mil. He shouldn't. He, he shouldn't. He wouldn't on any other team, but with Golden State and the history that they have and the fact that he coexists with, with Steph Curry well and was the reason why small ball and was the reason why Golden State's small ball success uh, spearhead got started in the first place. I think he's going to get that type of contract from Golden State. But is it, but it's good. But will this lead to a cha- will this lead to a championship altogether? Because you gotta you gotta ask yourself. Chris Paul's a big as great of a player as Chris Paul is, and as great of a playmaker as Chris Paul is. Because Golden State never really had that second playmaker, second point, second point guard that could just come off the bench and give Steph Curry a, uh, like a spell on the bench. They the Warriors have not had that during during this championship era. And Chris Paul is that, but will this help stand, withstand the test of time? Like, can these two can these two guys play with each other? Does it get to the point where Steph's starting and then Chris Paul's coming off the bench and then they and then Chris Paul and Steph close close out games with the two of them playing and Clay Thompson at the three, and you might go Wiggins at the four with Draymond at the five if he resigns. There's just a ton of questions that haven't been answered with for Golden State. It is the right, to me, it is the right move for Golden State to make because you were going to have to pick, you were going to have to pick between one of the two in Jordan Poole and Draymond Green. They've picked one. The question is, will this work out in the long term? Only time will tell. Now, I do want to ask one more question before we go to the next topic here. Do you believe health will play a role for this Golden State trade as well? Because again, CP3, we talked about he's old, he's older. Is breaking down, missed some games for the Phoenix Suns last year. Stephen Curry's getting older. He's missed some games. Klay Thompson tore his ACL about two seasons ago. He's getting up there. Draymond Green's not a, a young pup anymore. 
you know, even their starting center, who I'm not a big fan of. I know, I know you're a fan of Kevon Looney. You know, they're getting, they're aging, and they just got older, right? With that CP3 for Chris or for Jordan Poole, they got about a decade, if not older, at the same position, basically covering that same type of role. So I don't really like it at that perspective as well, because injury is going to play a huge part of how this trade will be looked back on in a couple of years when Jordan Poole's in his prime at 27, 28, and CP3, you'd assume, is is, is retired, if not long retired. But how much how much will health be a factor with this trade? A big factor, but they need to do it. If if the punch between, punch that Draymond Green threw on Jordan Poole was it, that was a big indication of it. You it was either one of the two were, were gonna go or you're gonna lose both of them. And quite frankly, with Bob Myers. Um, leaving the Warriors and Mike Dunleavy Jr. taking the reins, the choice was clear. They're going, they're maximizing Stephen Curry's championship window. And like it or not, in theory, Chris Paul fits that. And he doesn't have to play as big of a role as he did, say, with the Clippers or with the Rockets or even to a degree with the Suns. But health's going to be the biggest factor, and I agree with you because every single one of those war of those Warriors core players have gone have gone through injury struggles. Steph Curry was hurt for a, for a portion of that season. Clay Thompson coming off a tour an ACL and that torn Achilles on top of that. Draymond Green Draymond Green's had some injury risk in the past. We've all known about Chris Paul, and even. And even someone, Kevon Looney's had his hip issues before. And even someone like Andrew Wiggins, too. Like, he was a model of consistency. Now, I know, like, he was out for a bit, but um, his dad being ill had a lot to do with that. But there's a ton of, on paper, talent-wise, the Warriors can compete with the best of them. But like the Clippers, health is either going to be the deciding factor of this Warriors roster for better or for worse. Definitely for better or for worse. Again, we're going to have to wait and see how these rosters look when they start trying to play together on the floor. But to the next big trade, we talked about it as a rumor. The trade looks a little bit different than when we talked about. We thought it would be Porzingis for Brogdon, more or less, and it Pains me to say it is not Malcolm Brogdon going the other way. It is Marcus Smart. The Clippers fall out. The Memphis Grizzlies step up. They pick up Marcus Smart from what sounds like forever they've been trying to acquire Marcus Smart. They finally get that opportunity. Marcus Smart goes to Memphis. Uh, Memphis sends uh, Tyus Young the other way to the third team, which was the Washington Wizards, as who they sent for Zingas to the Boston Celtics, who also acquired two first-round picks from Memphis, sending Smart to those Grizzlies. So the Celtics had a really good trade there, getting a, a really good big man that should fit really well with that Boston core of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But, Cage, as as a Celtics fan myself, losing Marcus Smart is just— as much as he's had his problems being the point guard for this team— it it really does pain me to say he's no longer a Boston Celtic. Well, 
he was the first piece of that Celtics rebuild back, back when Brad Stevens started off as a head coach for them. So this sort of reminds me, if this ends up being successful and Boston ends up winning the title this, follow, this following season, this will, this will be reminiscent of DeMar DeRozan being traded to San Antonio for Kawhi. It, as good as Marcus Smart was, and as and as and as much as he provided the culture, provided a culture for that Celtics team, and also became the first guard since Gary Payton to win the Defensive Player of the Year award last season, or two seasons ago. This was a move that needed to happen. My issue with how the Celtics are right now, and we've talked about this. In the previous previous episode, Chris Paul would have been a perfect move for for Boston. For, 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 would have been a would have been the perfect point guard for Boston. Now that faith's going to Malcolm Brogdon, who might I add, the Clippers were so scared off by Brogdon's injury history that they backed out. Would can Brogdon be that missing piece for the Celtics? Because what they were really sorely lacking during that playoff series, during that playoff run, and especially against the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, was that playmaker to help settle things down and not commit and not commit dumb turnovers. I'll ask kind of how many times would Jalen Brown dribble the ball off of his left foot or Tatum lost the ball or Smart lost the ball. They still don't have an answer to that. Now might, I add, now, might I add, this gives more of an opportunity for someone like Peyton Pritchard to step up. So maybe this, com- maybe this is coming from, maybe this is going to come with, a, uh, maybe a playmaker is going to come from within. But another concern that I have, like in terms of like Porzingis, yes, you somehow got, you somehow traded away Marcus Smart for Porzingis and two first round picks. But how is Porzingis going to fit into that rotation defensively? Because the Celtics, at least with their bigs, like to switch and play out in the perimeter. Al Horford did that. Big Rob did that as well. But Porzingis isn't really comfortable guarding out, switching and guarding out to the perimeter. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he fares in the Celtics' defensive schemes and how he will fare in their closing lineups because they really need defense down the stretch. Offensively, he's a great, op- he's a great option. can stretch the floor out can shoot over anyone from 15 feet out and be the role guy. It can be the role guy. He's had a, he had a clean bill of health for the most part in, um, last year with, with the wizards. So health or now hasn't been the biggest, hasn't, wasn't an issue last season, but in the past it's been, but it's defensive. It's defensively for me. That's the biggest concern on paper. The Celtics should win it all with the talent that they have. But on paper doesn't necessarily equate to championships. It just equates to championships if it if it's like preseason pick. There's a reason, Cajun, why we don't award trophies before the season starts, and there's a reason why they play the games. Because at the end of the day, 
the lineup sheet don't mean nothing if they can't perform on the floor. We'll see what the Celtics, again, do look like, just like Golden State when these guys touch the floor. And the last big trade that happened, I'm not sure which we're going to talk about this because it's a guy who's kind of struggled, not necessarily been the, the, the level of player I ex- necessarily expected, is John Collins is out of Atlanta. ATL sends him packing. He ends up going to, I believe it is Utah, and Rudy Gay going the other way to the Atlanta Hawks. So, Cage, what do you make of John Collins going for Rudy Gay? And I believe it was a couple of seconds. So for the player that most people expect he could be, he went for just about nothing. This was basically a move that um, for the Hawks to dip below the luxury tax. And based off of how John Collins was these this past two, these past two seasons, he was expendable. But it also meant that with his decreasing role and his and his subpar shooting from behind the arc, mind you, for the, for the three or four seasons ago, he was shooting upwards of like borderline forty percent from three point range. This season, I believe, it was just below thirty. So there were there were few takers for him, especially with that contract that he signed. But Utah is taking a chance on Collins, given that um they believe a a sprained ring finger that he suffered to his shooting to his shooting finger was not healed properly, and that contributed to his shooting decline. It's a good it's a good risk for Utah to take given that they're still in the rebuilding process and John Collins is still relatively young, but he's just about to enter his prime. And you add to a core like with Lloyd Markinen, Colin Sexton, if you like, it's unclear like whether he's in their long-term plans or not. Walker Kessler. Um, so it's a, it's a good gamble for Utah to take, but for Atlanta, this is just dipping below the luxury tax. Really, Rudy Gay's not really going to do much there. He's just going to be a veteran presence for that for those Hawks. My biggest question, my bigger issue is, who's going to take that? Who's going to take that four spot and run with it? Because to me, this is going to be a three-way competition between Jalen Johnson, who's a great athlete but doesn't shoot the ball particularly well, AJ Griffin, and Sadiq Bey. Whoever runs with that, it, it just, this to me is like a signal for Atlanta that um, they're willing to play small at the three and the four and try to match up against other rosters in the East by playing small ball. Yeah, John Collins, his career low in points per game since he was a rookie. So not a good year for John Collins coming in coming into his going into his first year with the Utah Jazz. But I do want to mention, as you said there with the names you mentioned in that, I'll say quote unquote core for Utah. And I actually do want to mention as quick as I look, Lori Markin is 25. So is John Collins. So they are identical ages. And then you've got, I believe, Malik Beasley still on the team. He's 26. Colin Sexton's 24. He's with the Lakers. 
I I thought he got dealt. I was trying to remember off the top of my head. He only played 13 games this year for Utah. Well, started 13 games for Utah, pardon me. But as you, again, you mentioned Walker Kessler. Can you think of a 3-4-5 trio better than Laurie Markkinen, John Collins, and Walker Kessler? Now, for people who don't know, Laurie Markkinen was drafted as a power forward center who's been playing small forward shooting guard for Utah. He's seven feet tall. Walker Kessler's a pure center who got drafted out of the University of Auburn. He is 7'2". John Collins is 6'9". Those are three guys manning your three, four, and five spots most likely that are all plus scorers not normally. And not only that, defensively, they're going to be a nightmare trying to find the guy you want to attack. Because you got Kessler blocking the rim. You got Markkinen, who's just so tall and long for where he technically plays. It's so hard to find a matchup you like. And then John Collins, who defensively is, from what I remember, not particularly great. But because he's beside a guy like Kessler and Markkinen, he will be able to excel at not having to be great against other great power forwards and centers because Kessler and Laurie are going to take those jobs, I think. I got to add to this. It did, it also didn't help for John Collins that Trey Young was an absolute sieve on the defensive end. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Laurie Markman because when he got traded from Cleveland to Utah, he didn't have the same pedigree. He did not nearly close to the same pedigree that John Collins did coming from Atlanta to Utah, because at, at least John Collins had a bit more success with Atlanta, with Atlanta, like on an individual level and on a team level, than Laurie Markkinen before he went to Utah. And look at the jump that Markkinen had this past season. What makes you, what makes you think John Collins, there might not be, there, there may, there may not be such a similar jump with John Collins. No, and Cage, that's a great point, and I do want to mention it here. Um, his sophomore year for Laurie Markkinen was his best season at 18.7 points per game. This year for Utah, he had 25.6 points per game. He shot almost 40% from three. He shot about 39%. He shot almost 50% from the field. He shot about 49%, 0.9%. So he was literally a hair under shooting 50% from the floor. Like, this guy is really talented. And everyone knew it coming out of the height of his draft going to Chicago. It just never really clicked in Chicago. And then it definitely didn't click in Cleveland when he went to Cleveland for one season in between Chicago and now in Utah. But it really feels like, Cage, he's really fit in to that, you know, Salt Lake team. And I think that Utah thinks, and I agree with them, might I add, and I'll get your opinion on this, that he is going to be a star, that he is going to be a building block for this organization. And he has shown them nothing but that. And I would have to agree with them that I think he could be a building block because he's only 25. He's a young guy. He is a younger guy who has proven that he is a talented scorer that can shoot the rock at a very high level from three and from two. And he's so damn tall. He's seven feet tall playing shooting guard at times. Like he is just going to be a matchup nightmare for some teams. And I, I, to me, I'm a one up you. I think he already is. He already is that building block. He already is that centerpiece for you for Utah based off of the jump that he has made. But with this, well, with Utah giving up absolutely nothing just to get John Collins, and might might I add you, um, you said Laurie Markkinen's best season before he went to Utah 
was in his second it was in his sophomore year when he averaged 18.7 points per game. John Collins had a 20 and 10 season back in 2019-20 with Atlanta. That was his third year, by the way. That was his third, that was his third year. And you can argue that Capella coming from Atlanta coming from Atlanta and taking over as the screener kind of limited limited John Collins' role to to basically a catch and shoot guy. And then with Murray coming into the DeJounte Murray coming into the mix, that further limited his role. Now he's free of that and onto a Utah team that's still rebuilding and you really got nothing to lose if you're John Collins. So this is a great deal by for Utah and I cannot wait to see the limitless potential that are front court of marketing cons and Kessler to provide. And I again do want to mention, as you said in the beginning, talking about this team and, and if Colin Sexton is part of their plans, even if Colin Sexton does not end up being a building block for this organization, Colin Sexton is a talented scorer. He was a talented oh. scorer at Alabama. He's a talented scorer for Cleveland. He's a talented scorer for Utah. And even if he does not pan out as a guy who will average 25 a game like Laurie did last year and be a building block for Utah, those four guys on the offensive end, and Kessler is not great offensively. He's good offensively. He's a good post player. He's not particularly a good shooter, but he's good back behind the basket, and he's really tall, as they mentioned. He's 7'1", listed on basketball reference. I remember him listed 7'2", at Auburn. He's a little over 240 pounds. Larry Markin is 7 feet, 240 pounds. Like, these guys are big. They're so big. They're so long. They're so talented offensively. It's kind of like Cage, to be honest. I don't know who to key on. If you're thinking, okay, you know, we pick on that guy offensively. We're forcing him to get the ball and force him to make the mistake. Like, is that is that Walker Kessler? Are you forcing the ball to the post and letting Kessler cook you on the block? Because you're not letting Market and shoot. You're not letting Colin Sexton get downhill. You're not letting Collins get open from three. So who do you key out on, Cage? Who do you help off of on the defensive end to make up for? Because that's the way the NBA works. You help off that one guy you don't really trust behind the arc. And is that John Collins? He shot only 29% from three. His worst shooting clip from three his entire NBA career, even though he's been a 40% shooter in the past from three. Like, is that the move? Because if it and is, I don't like it, Cage. I don't like that move. That's the way you're going to go if, if, if it's going to be John Collins or even Walker Kessler trying to key off on him because I think you're just allowing yourself to get cooked in down low. I mean, you're getting there. Like that's that's a scenario where you're gonna get cooked at either way. It's just it's just more so a pick your poison thing, and that's when no de- no opposing defense would want would want any part of. But Utah's gonna force defenses to pick their poison. Right now, John Collins looks like the safest option, safest pick your poison option. But if the, if his shooting woes really came down to his his ring finger sprain that he suffered that he never really healed from. If he heals from that and goes back to the shooter that he was before, watch out. Watch out indeed. And Cage, I do want to ask you quick before we move on to Scrabble. I'm going to place it right here. But before we move on to Scrabble, who do you think is the next big player to get moved? Again, John Collins was a surprise, I think. Porzingis' deal finally goes through CP3, finally got dealt out of D.C. I say finally he was in D.C. for all of like five days. But um, who do you think is next to be the big guy leaving? Is it Damian Lillard in, in Portland? I've, I've seen the report saying he's not leaving Portland, but I mean, they don't move the fourth overall pick. They end up picking Amon Thompson. Is it Lillard, or do you see somebody else on the move, Cage? Who do you got? Hmm. 
I just can't see the Pelicans moving Zion Williamson. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna say a name that was mentioned in trade rumors before. Pascal Siaka. Now, depending on what Toronto does or doesn't do, I don't think his timeline fits with what the Raptors' timeline should be. And he's a guy that can score. He's a guy that can create his own shot, can score at will, can score at will. Um, can somewhat defend too on the perimeter or at the rim. But his, I just don't. I just think his timeline just doesn't mesh well. Like his timeline right now doesn't mesh well with Toronto's. I don't think Toronto's anywhere close to a contender, and it's going to take a while before they before they do. So I think he's the next piece to go, and the Raptors could get a, could get some pieces back for him to continue to accelerate what I think should be a rebuild. Now, will it or will it will it not happen is only like. Only time will tell for that, but something's telling me Siaka. Uh, but something's telling me Siaka might be the next, or the next star gone. Yeah, you may be right, but again, we got to see what Misayu Jiri, MLSC, Bobby Webster, and that Toronto organization decide on what their timeline looks like. But now, as I mentioned, two Scrabble. I've got four names, Cajun. The first one's easy. The second one, I don't know if you're going to get. The third one, I expect you to get. And then the fourth one, I hope you don't get. That's the trump card. That's the one I pulled out, and I'm hoping you don't get. But number one, the easy one, Cage. Right now, three for three. You went three for three last week. You wanted a little bit harder. I hope I went a little bit harder. We're going to find out. So the first name, you got out your pen and paper. Mm -hmm. So the first name is W-O-L-N-E-L. W O L N E L. Marcus Noel. Marquise Noel, the newest Toronto Raptor, was a uh, was pardon me before I mess this up. He was a U or UDFA for hockey, but he was a free agent signed after the draft concluded. Marquise Noel was not drafted by the Toronto Raptors as he only had one draft pick, which was Grady Dick, which we'll get into a little bit later. But they pick up Marquise Noel as a free agent after the draft and a two-way deal, and he looks great. Love that guy. Love that kid out of Kansas State. I loved him and a guy who did end up getting drafted in Keontae Johnson out of Kansas State and their run to the Elite Eight. I was a big fan of that team. And I'm a big fan of him, and I think he'll do great things in the NBA because he's such a good passer. My goodness, is he such a good passer. But on to the next name before we get too stuck on the details. The next name, Cajun, is S-H-U-E-S-N-U-A-G-A. Oh, Cage, I might I might mess you up here. I put one too many U's. I thought I did when I reread it, but I put one too many U's. There's only one U, so I'll repeat it. So it's S H U E. S N A G A. This one might get you. And if you want a hint, I'll give you a hint. Go on. The hint is he was drafted at the latter half of the first round in this year's NBA draft. I got a couple more hints if you want them. Bryce Sinestow? 
Uh, it's Zenzibar. But yes, Bryce Zenzibar, drafted by the Utah Jazz, 28th overall out of Ohio State. It is Bryce Zenzibar, so I'll give it to you. So that's two for two. That means, that means you are six for six so far in Scrabble. Or I guess, pardon me, five for five. We'll see if you can go six for six on the next one, Cage. And again, I expect you to get this one. So we'll see if you can get it. T-B-E-A-N-W-A-A. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. T-B. T-B-E-A-N-W-A-A. Utah Watanabe. Utah Watanabe, it is. That makes you seven for seven. And the one name I think I might get you, because I don't know if you know who this is. B-L-I-T-S-U-E. B-L-I-T-S-U-E. Oh, I'm out of something, ladies and gentlemen. Is he finally going to drop the free throw? You want a hint? Go ahead. He was a U. Uh, he was a free agent pickup after the NBA draft. All right, you got me. I'll give you one more hint. He was a Arizona Wildcat last season. That gets you any closer? You want to take a stab? Mm. Now go for it. I can't pronounce his first thing because he's from Lithuania, but I'm going to go with Adizol Tubelis out of Arizona. Got signed as a uh, as a free agent after the NBA draft. I love Tubelis. He was a great player for the Arizona Wildcats, a team I expected to win the NCAA tournament, and then they went out in the first round, so that blew up all of my brackets and my heart. But I Tubelis, mean, I, mean, I mean Purdue, Purdue getting knocked out, knocked out as a one seed, probably. Messed over everyone's brackets. And Arizona, the other one C going out in the first round, so that really did blow up everybody's bracket. I believe only five lasted through the first round. So I did finally get Cajun. He is now 6-4-7 in Scrabble. So we'll see if I can get him one more time next week on the Scrabble board, Cajun. That's a better free throw percentage than anybody on the Raptors did did in that playing game. Well... Luckily for you, you don't have DeMar DeRozan's daughter screaming in your ears, I guess, if you want to listen to the haters. So now going on to the NBA draft, we kind of waited to get into it because of all the trades that happened prior to the draft. But now we're here, NBA draft, Cage, who do you have as one winner and one loser coming out? Some teams had late picks in the second round as the Raptors only had one draft pick overall, which was in the first round. Who do you have as a winner? And no, you can't say San Antonio because they drafted Victor Wembanyama. You got to pick somebody else. Who is your one winner and one loser coming out of the NBA draft? Winner for me has to be the Houston Rockets. Um, not only did you get a guy like Amon Thompson, who, for all his troubles about shooting the ball, can do basically everything, and he has a work ethic and he's got a great work ethic, holds himself accountable. And that fits well in a team led by Ime Udoka, 
not only do you get a guy like Amon Tossel, but Cam Whitmore, in spite of his body interviews and quote-unquote attitude that turned off teams, which is why he slid all the way from when he was projected around fourth or fifth, all the way to 20th. So you basically got two top five talents in the first round of the Houston Rockets, and that sort of like expedites your rebuild and Man, it gives it gives it gives Houston a really intriguing young roster. And with a guy like Ime Udoka at the helm, that team's gonna play hard and that that team's gonna play hard and they're gonna play the right right way. So Houston for me is the big winner out of all this. And what about a loser king? I'm gonna say this as a bit of a joke, but Grady Dick, because the memes are gonna fly. Oh, they already have. They already, they have. already have. We'll get into that in a second, but they already have. You have anybody else you want to mention as a loser? Because you know, we'll we'll get into the Raptors. Obviously, again, you're a Raptors fan. We talked about it last week that we did neither you or I would have picked Grady at at 13. Obviously, I think the guy you and I would have probably pegged to that spot in case when Wallace goes 10. So he ended up not even being on the board. But I still would have went with um, Scofino uh, Hood out of Indiana. But again, regardless, is there another loser you want to mention? I'm gonna say, uh, aside aside from joking about Brady Dick's fit, um, the Lakers, because where is Kofino Hood gonna fit in 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 that roster? Don't get me wrong, it was it was a good value pick uh, for the Lakers, but with Reeves already on that team with Hachimura, and with LeBron and AD still. On the roster and their and with their championship window still wide open, I just don't see where like unless Austin Reeves leaves, where I don't see it like where it's more more likely that's not going to happen. Where does he fit into their plan? And not only that, kids, they let Cam Whitmore fall right past them. The Lakers had 17 again. Cam Whitmore, as you mentioned, with the Rockets being your winner, he goes at 20. I wanted to mention another name with the Warriors pick, which I actually saw a Bach that was released before the draft that uh, Brandon Podzemski would land with the Warriors at 19, a great shooter out of Santa Clara, which is a WCC division, which is where Gonzaga play. So not particularly a great division, but he was a 40 uh, plus 40% shooter from three, kind of like Grady Dick, just at a lot, I'll say, lower level, comparatively speaking, to the division he played in. But regardless, you let those two guys go, which I think you could argue be perfect fits, two guys that can work off the ball and be talented, I'll say, scorer for Podzemski and just about everything else for Whitmore at Villanova. But, you know, as, as I mentioned with Hood uh, Scolafino, you know, that you draft him for the Raptors because he's such a good playmaker, the Lakers draft them, and there you have their playmaker in LeBron James. So where is he going to fit on the floor, as you mentioned? Where is he going to fit? That's that's a question I'd love to see answered. I, do, again, don't do want to mention another kid I love, absolutely love this kid. Marcus Saucer, 25, going to Memphis, actually getting traded to the Pistons, was drafted with the Memphis Grizzlies pick. And then Julian Strother, pa- uh, the Pacers draft pick, going to the Denver Nuggets. I love Julian Strother out of Gonzaga. Big fan of that kid. I hope he succeeds. And a hats off to all the guys who got drafted and the guys who got signed as UDFAs after the draft because 
It's hard to make the NBA. You have 12 guys who play regularly. I think 15 roster spots on the NBA roster. So to even make a 10-day contract is an accomplishment in it of itself. You are 1% of the 1% of the 1%, and you deserve to get the hats off. So, Cage, I know you echo what I said, but hats off to Absolutely. all the guys who got drafted and all the guys who ended up getting signed after the draft concluded. You're not wrong. You're not wrong right there. And I'm glad you mentioned Strother. Like, as if the Nuggets already don't have a, already don't have a stacked roster. Now with, now with the salary cap being a big hindrance for a lot of NBA teams, getting a guy like that is going to be huge for Denver, especially since, since a guy like Christian Braun played big moment, played, played some Played a played a big role, especially during that finals against the Heat in in the, in that championship run for Den- Denver. Now now you add a guy like Strother to that, and on top of that, if Bruce Brown Jr. resigns, my favorite player of all time, Spencer hates him. But um, with if you add, with the Nuggets continuing to add more quality depth out of the draft. Denver might be Denver might we might just. We might just see the Nuggets as as that next dynasty. We might just see it again with the best player on earth, Nikola Jokic. Don't at me, Joel Embiid. I don't want to hear it. But before we get to Grady no, Dick, no, no, I no. Please... Let's, let's, we we got we we do have to hear it. It's oh. gonna be a back, it'll be a back and forth between between Joel Embiid and Spencer Byers. I I, I and I, I win. I'd make him cry like he did at the MVP ceremony cage. My goodness. You put me in and beat in a room. One guy's walking out in his feet and the other guy's crawling out. And ain't the, it, the seven-footer ain't walking out cage. That's all I got to say about that. Hey, yo, go after him, Scarberia uh, style. Oh, no, that, that's all you, Cage. That's all you. <laughs> I as the country folk, you as the city folk, you city folk, keep that to yourselves. But for those of, for those of you who don't know what Scarberia is, I like to call uh, it. It's another term for Scarberia. Yeah, Scarborough, Ontario, better known as uh, Toronto East? Toronto West? I don't know. One of the two. Toronto East. There you go, Toronto East. I know it was one of those directions, because I'm just south, or north, pardon me. I'm just north. So, you know, I don't, I don't really pay attention to y'all idiots, if you will. But to continue on with the draft, a guy who, another one of the wild cards who might have taken Cam Whitmore's spot in the draft, is uh, Bilal Koulibaly, who is a French player who played with uh, Victor Wembanyama on his Metropolitan 92 team. He got drafted seventh overall by the Washington Wizards, technically by the Pacers draft pick, but the rights go to the Washington Wizards. And man, I didn't want to get to the NBA draft. And what an ugly, just ridiculous show that is. I don't even want to mention that today. We'll talk about that probably next week, just about how badly the NBA draft is. Um, telecasted, but again, you know, Koulibaly, a um, high-risk, high-reward draft pick, but we've talked about it throughout this episode with the, D- the Washington trade with Porzingis and CP3, respectively, that they're a rebuilding squad, and maybe taking a big hit-or-miss, high-risk, um, high high-reward pick in Koulibaly might work out for this Wizards team that doesn't need him to be a star right away because they're going to be rebuilding for the next three to five years you'd expect. You hit it right in the nail, Spencer. Um, maybe if you were a team that, um, maybe if Washington was a team that was looking to make the playoffs, this move would, this 
dropping Koulibaly would be sort of a head-scratcher, but they're rebuilding. And they're finally doing what they were supposed to do. And going back to, like, that Porzingis, that Porzingis deal, instead of getting Marcus Morris Sr., a senior in that deal, they get like a they get a great point guard who was shadow who was overshadowed who was living in the shadow of John Morant and Tyus Jones. So Washington's been making some great moves ever since they traded Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal and Kula Bali. He's six he's six foot eight, seven two wingspan. He was brought up as a guard. And then he had a growth spurt, and then he had a growth spurt, and then all of a sudden turned into a wing. Um, he's described himself as a two-way player. He spent a lot of time watching now Nets wing Mikael Bridges. Um, his shooting does need a work. He, his shooting does need a lot of work, and his frame needs to be. He needs to. Be, he needs to grow into his frame to like. Withstand the physicality and like the schedule of the NBA, um, but it's a it's a it's a high risk high reward pick, but I like it. Washington, Washington, it's going to take time for Washington to get back to the playoffs, and you got to take risk in risking um while you're in the in the infant stages of a rebuild. Now he's going to be added to a wing core that includes Corey Kispert, Denny Avdia, um. Remains to be seen what they do or what they do with their uh, what Washington does with its other guards in, wake, in the wake of Tyus Jones' trade with Monte Morris and Delon Wright. But Washington, for the first for the first time in forever, Washington finally has a direction. Yeah, and I do want to mention Corey Kispert, a former Gonzaga Bulldog. So again, big fan of Mark Few's work with the. Uh, with the Gonzaga program out of Spokane. But, you know, Koulibaly was going to get drafted by one of two teams, Caved, by a team that was rebuilding and didn't need him to be great now, or a team that was so talented, like also the Boston Celtics, for example, but even the Golden State Warriors, a team that doesn't need him to be good so they can wait on him too. You either need a team that sucks and can wait or a team that's great that can wait. It, the, the mediocre teams or the teams on the cusp can't draft a kid like this because they can't afford him to bust. But now on to the creme de la creme, Grady Dick. We've already seen the memes. We've already seen all the jokes flying in around the Toronto media area. Again, you're with Sportsnet. I'm with TSN. So you and I have seen it firsthand with how many jokes have been going around the Toronto sports ethos with this 13th overall pick. And again, I'll start with this one before we get your analysis, Cage. I'm not a big fan of this pick, and here's why. Grady Dick is a fit because Grady Dick is a great shooter. Shot over 40% from three. He made the most threes of any freshman ever for Kansas, who's an amazingly historic program. You know, they've had some legendary coaches, including their current coach and Bill Self. You know, not even trying to take away anything from the young man in Grady, but let's be honest, they needed a ball handling point guard and they didn't get one until they got Marquise Noel, who again, I absolutely love that guy. I think he's going to be great. I hope he gets a chance with this Raptors team I, this year. I don't think he will because he's on that two-way contract, so he will probably start with the Toronto 905 team over in Mississauga, 
which I might have to go out and see a game because Marquise Newell's on that team. And again, I love that guy. One of my favorite players during the NCAA tournament in that Jerome Tang-led Kansas State Wildcat team. But again, regardless, Cage, what did you make of that Grady Dick pick at 13? And yes, I know I just said Dick pick, but what am I going to do? What am I going to do, Cajun? What am I going to do? Oh, man. The worst place that could he could have ever been drafted in terms of the memes had to be Toronto, didn't it? My goodness. Uh, but in terms of like a basketball, from, from a basketball standpoint, I was with you on the fact that Brady did wasn't exactly what the Raptors most needed. And I was bought and I was I was pessimistic about it. But then they signed Noah then they signed Noah as a two two way contract. And you know what? I'm okay with this pick. I'm okay with this pick given that they did get a playmaker who went undraft who who went undrafted nonetheless. So I think we both we both were on the same page that they really need a playmaker and Casey Wallace was at the top of my list until OKC swooped him. But they did get a point that they did get a point guard right back. It, granted, he is also five foot eight, but he's not. You're not going to get any sort of complacency from Noel because he had to work for everything. He had to fight for everything. Fight for his, his, his a seat in amongst the NBA peers and just in general because of his height. So I have no problem. Granted that they got their playmaker, they they got a playmaker in Noel. I think he, I think he's gonna make make an immediate impact for Toronto to the point where they where they'll convert his two way contract into an NBA contract, which makes the Grady Dick pick now. There, there, there are goals. You said it too. Now. There you go. Now we're even. Oh, oh boy. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of that. There's gonna be a lot of that over the course of uh, Grady Dick's career tenure here in Toronto. But um, they the other thing that Toronto scored they needed was shooting, mm-hmm. aside from playmaking. And Grady Dick provides that. Mm-hmm. One of the better shooters in the NBA draft. Now his defense is is his 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 height allow, allows him to defend to a certain degree. Not the greatest. He's not the greatest defender in terms of mobility, but um. The Raptor, like he can figure it, he can figure it out defensively. But but someone that can let it fly from downtown and really provide lanes, driving lanes for someone like Pascal Siakam, who is a prime trade candidate to uh, away from Toronto, but um, it remains to be seen. We're just talking in the sense of the roster right now. Can open driving lanes for guys like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr. It, having a shooter like that will really open things up, open things up for the rest of the roster. And that was the biggest problem with, the, and that was one of the bigger problems with the Raptors. They couldn't, they could not shoot the ball to save their lives. And this was, you might say, this was more so like a safe pick for Toronto, but it wasn't a bad one. And and I do want to mention here again, I love Marquise Noel. Absolutely love this guy. 
He played five years in college, his first three years with Little Rock, which is in Arkansas, in the Sun Belt, and then played his last two years with Kansas State in the Big 12. He never shot over 40, basically 3% from the field. He shot 38% from the field in his last year with Kansas State during the regular season. He shot 35% from three. But he does have logo range, which we saw during the the NCAA tournament. And then here's the big thing, Cage, you and I have alluded to. He averaged 8.3 assists per game in his NCAA year with Kansas. He averaged 17 points a night. And yeah, he did average almost four turnovers a game as well, but that's going to come with a guy who who's able to pass the rock like that. It's the same thing as, you know, when, you, when you're able to pass the ball better than the average guy, you're going to attempt passes the average player won't make, which inherently means you'll probably turn the ball over more because you're make, taking more risks, right? It's just that it's that game you play when you have a great passer. He was a two-time Big 12 defensive player of the year, defensive player all team. So he made, in the two years he was in the Big Big 12, which is one of the best conferences in college basketball, right? Like, it's got some great teams in the Big 12. You know, Texas, one of them, who was projected to be a top, uh, a Final Four team. They didn't end up making it that far. But, you know, Big 12 is a great basketball conference. He was all defensive team both years, and he averaged over two assists both years. He averaged over two steals, pardon me, over two steals four of his five years in college. Like this guy, even though he's only listed five seven from Basketball Reference, is probably closer to year five eight as you mentioned. You know he might be small, but he's tenacious. He's not giving you an inch on either side of the floor, and that's why Toronto's gonna love this guy because he won't give you an inch. And as he's listed from Harlem, New York, he's from the streets of Harlem, and he ain't scared of nobody. Ain't scared of nobody, Cajun. He like me. He ain't scared of nobody. This young man is uh, going to give you everything on the floor, and I love him. Oh, my God, I hope to get him on the pod. I don't think I ever will because, you know, we're, we're pretty small. It's uh, pretty small grapes, comparatively speaking, to where he was, he's going to be. But regardless, I love Marquise Noy. He's one of my favorite players going to be in the NBA. And I, if he's playing from the 905, I'm going to have to go over to Mississauga to go to that little building that the Mississauga Steelheads play and watch him because I love him. He's so talented, and he doesn't give you an inch. And, man, do I wish the Celtics picked this guy up. I was so upset to hear him went to the Raptors cage. I was so upset because this guy, he's just so lovable, Cage. He's like my boy Robert Williams, Time Lord. He's just so likable because he gives you everything he's got every time he's on the floor. It's never a question of effort with this guy, and that's why they're going to love him. If you're a Raptors fan, be excited for Marquise Noel because he's going to give you everything he's got, even if it ain't a lot. Because unlike Fred Van Vliet, he's a natural playmaker. He, he's a natural passer, and the Raptors need a natural passer to get into your offense and get into your sets. Because if you're going to rely on Scotty Barnes to do that, it's going to be a long, painful, drawn-out process. But someone like Noel, that's not going to be the case. That's not going to be the case. He'll, he'll get guys to his spot. He'll get guys to their spots. Now it's going to take time. He is a rookie, and. He's 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 gonna have to get used to the Raptors' system, but with a guy as natural of a passer as him, it's it's what this Raptor it's what the Raptors so really need. And you being a Boston Celtics fan, I know this is paining you. Oh, it's it's hurting my heart not only because I love again I love Marquise Noel. I love that guy. I think the world of him. I love that Kansas State run with Keontae Johnson, who has also got an amazing story. Having I believe it was a. I'll say a heart attack, but had a had a cardiac event on the floor for Florida. I was in a coma for a medically induced coma for three days. 
didn't never played again for Florida. He was on their roster technically for two years. His super senior year, he transfers to Kansas State because he gets cleared to play. He wants to play. He goes to Kansas State under first-year head coach Jerome Tang, former assistant under Scott Drew with Baylor. If you couldn't tell, I love coaching. I love college ball. We're going to be talking about when the when the NCAA season starts up. I, I love college ball, and that's why I love Marquise Noel. And again, Cage, I have to reiterate one more time for the – one more time for the show. He's going to give you everything he's got. He's just, he's got that quote unquote dog in him because that's just the way he plays. And that's why I love him because he gives you everything. And I love guys who give you a hundred percent every time they're on the floor. Cause you sometimes see guys who don't cage, but he is one just like Robert Williams. He gives you everything. You know what? I can't wait for Spencer in three to four years, Tom. What? The Raptors, Raptors eliminate. Celtics in the second round, and Marquise Noel has a triple-double. And Cajun, we're having a fist fight in my living room when that day comes. We're probably watching the game together as you have the alcoholic beverage and I have my Pepsi because I do not drink. But that'll basically be, be it here for us, Cage. And I do want you to mention, before we go, you, you're going to an event this weekend. I almost butted in, but I heard it's date night, so I'm, I'm, I'm skipping out. You know, it, it's you. It's you, girl. It's you. So, Cage. Let us in on the deeds. What's going on this weekend? Um, so up with my girlfriend, everyone. Uh, as Spencer just name dropped right there. Um, but who Queens Toronto? That is for our first paid woman summer basketball league. I've been meaning to go to this for the longest time, but work interning at Sportsnet, it has gotten in the way, but not any longer on Sunday. Me and the girl, I mean, the lady will go out for their championship for for championship week. Um, Roadrunners, I believe, facing off against the Sultans, and um, I've heard a lot of good stories about this this woman's uh, this summer league led by uh, Nikisa Kumal Singh. Um, I think, well, where a bunch of CSM graduates and our very own Ashley Docking. Is involved is is involved um with hoop queens as well. So um, it's gonna be very exciting seeing women's women's basketball on the spot uh, on the spotlight and with um the for the first ever WNBA game being held in Toronto um a little while ago. Like I'm really excited to see how the growth of women's basketball will continue to grow. Will continue to grow. And I can't, I cannot wait to, honestly, Spencer, I cannot wait to see you watching the basketball. And I can't wait to break it down with you because I'll probably be watching that at home or maybe I'll go by myself and try to locate you and, and, and Peppa. I might be, might be looking around, you know, I might be bringing out the binoculars trying to find you when I'm in the nosebleeds. Binoculars. Come yeah, on. Well, well, well I, I try to get, you know, you try to get the, you know, I'll get the, the telescope, you know, trying to trying to see you when I'm in the boonies up in the 500s and the nosebleeds. But, you know, regardless, we'll make sure we mention that. So Hoop Queens next week will be on the show. I talked about we're, we're going to be talking about, you know, WNBA, women's ball, college ball, men's college ball. This is a basketball podcast. We talking ball all day long. And. You know, I hope I can't talk about Hoop Queens because it's nice to shed light on a league that you and I don't, you know, you and I don't talk about a normal conversation. You and I don't talk about, I'll say, I don't know if you talk about it at Sportsnet, but, you know, we don't, I don't never talked about it in the radio side over at TSN. 
And, you know, it'd be nice to tell you talk about and shed light on a league that can grow. And I'll go as far as to say will grow. And hopefully, even if we have a minute, minute play in that, it's still enough for me. And for those of you who don't know where it is, Humber College, Humber College North Campus uh, on Sunday. There you go. Humber College Sunday. That would be making sure I check my calendar running. It'll be actually Sunday will be the 2nd of July. So if you're out Canada Day weekend and you want to see some good ball down in Humber, which I believe technically is right near where we are right now. I believe it is North York area. Um, Humber College? Etobicoke. Etobicoke. See, I couldn't remember if they were over farther towards Brampton or not, and they are. So Etobicoke, which again, is still bait just about downtown. It's rather close. So it's not like you got to go all the way out to Oshawa or Hamilton or, you know, as far north as Brampton. Etobicoke, basically in the heart of Toronto. I hope you turn out, as I know, again, Cajun Fever with Fanny Caslam will be there, but Cage. That is it for another episode of Polar Opposites. Before we go, Cage, I will let you get one more final thought. Just anything you want to spit out quick before we go. And again, we should be back next Wednesday, depending on what my TSN schedule looks like. If it's not next Wednesday, it will be next Tuesday. So stay tuned for that. Another Outrage episode will be coming on Thursday. So in two days' time, another Outrage episode will be up and running as I have I thought I had business on Friday. Turns out it is actually Thursday. So you're recording the podcast and going straight home north. So we'll see how that works for my sleep. But regardless, Cage, final thoughts before we go. Final thoughts? Um, hey, man. Um, it's got to be it's about, it's gotta be about Grady Dick. I cannot wait for him to let it fly from downtown. And um, for Toronto fans, for Toronto fans to not know what to say or what to think, whether it's uh, – Getting getting a jersey with the with his last name Dick on the back of it, and, or and before we go, Cage number one, he's wearing number one. His name is he's wearing the number one. His last name's Dick, so he's number one Dick. Oh boy, oh like, boy, what a story that is! And again, the memes will continue to come. I cannot in. wait for the memes. They will continue to fly in from all angles, and the he could be absolute... he could be he could be better than Michael Jordan or LeBron James, and no Toronto man will ever wear a jersey that has a has the last name Dick on the back of it. You know, and you know what's no, even sa- what's sadder, Cajun, is that we're gonna have to deal with to this with. for ever because he will be here for you'd expect the foreseeable future as the debauchery of the Grady Dick name will continue to be thrown in our face every single day but as again that'll be it here for us for polar opposites episode number two hope you see you next week for Cajun Thiru Thani Kaslam and I'll make sure I say it again all 17 characters of Cajun Cajun Thiru Thani Kaslam I'm Spencer Byers and we'll see you next week